got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. I'm Joy Damiani. I'm Sarah Baranowskis. Our guest on this episode is Samantha Hart, an award-winning creative director and writer, an experienced director and producer, and now the author of a powerful coming-of-age memoir, Blind Pony, as true a story as I can tell. Just follow your own path. I mean, it's just right in front of you. There's no big secret to it or anything. It's just being in the present moment, really being honest, being authentic with yourself and and being willing to be vulnerable. But first, if the words and music you've been hearing on What the Folk are your cup of tea or coffee or hot apple cider or whatever, please do let us know by giving us a quick five-star rating on iTunes and or a glowing review or following us on your favorite platform or even loving us with your dollars via PayPal to whatthefolkpod at gmail.com. And we'll have more donation options coming soon as we get our shit together, we promise. Um, also, we love it when you share us with your friends and your coworkers and consenting children, you know. Thank you for doing that. Please keep it up. <laughs> and now, without further wordsing from me, here's Samantha Hart reading an excerpt from her book, Blind Pony, as true a story as I can tell. I felt like I had nothing to lose. If I didn't go, the boss might fire me anyway. I also had a feeling it wouldn't be business as usual at the Camelback Sleep Shop. When I showed up at the address on the card, my heart sank to realize his crib was nothing more than a trailer, parked in the desert alongside several others. I sat slumped down in my car as I took it all in, watching as a car drove up to a trailer. The door opened and the guy stepped inside, glancing around at first, as though making sure no one saw him. Before long, multiple cars were coming and going, every 10 to 20 minutes. Guys who looked wealthy, guys who looked like your typical family man. Truckers were pulling up in big rigs and greeted by scantily dressed girls with three-inch long fingernails. I became more and more uncomfortable, angry at myself, falling for such a flimsy and sleazy story. This place was nothing but a whorehouse, run out of trailers parked on a desert lot, and all it took to get me here was the promise of not having to clean up bird shit. I swore at myself for being such an idiot as I turned the key in the ignition of the Chevy Nova. A big white Cadillac pulled up beside me. The boss stepped out, and I heard the gravel crunch beneath his shiny boots. It was a sound that lived in the recesses of my subconscious mind, and it terrorized me. I sat frozen. He knocked on my window. Now why aren't you up in there, he asked. I rolled the window down just a few inches and mumbled out the words. Well, I don't think this is quite what I understood from our conversation. I don't think this is for me. So you want to clean up bird shit your rest of your life? He pulled out an enormous wad of $100 bills the likes of which I had never seen. Or you want to count Huns with me? In quick succession, he peeled off a slew of bills and said, Here, take it, it's yours. That is if you get your pretty white ass up in there like you promised. 
He said it like there was an or else attached to his statement and sent a shiver down my spine. He stuck his hand through the window and held the cash in front of my face, so close I could smell the newly minted bills. Adrenaline rushed through my veins, and I could hear my heart pumping, realizing there was no way to negotiate my way out of this predicament. My wild bill instincts took over as I snatched the hundreds from his long fingers and hit the gas. Rolling up the window, I peeled across the parking lot, skidding on the gravel. Trying to keep the Chevy from careening off course, I kept my eyes on the rearview mirror. What little I knew of the man, something told me he wasn't the type to forget about this and let it go. Here we are on What the Folk. Our guest on this episode is Samantha Hart, an award-winning creative director and writer. Sam is also an experienced director and producer. As a creative director, she's been instrumental in the creative development of campaigns for films, brands, and nonprofits. Her creative direction for United Way Chicago, entitled We're All Connected, earned her the prestigious Gold Hugo Award. Samantha's career began in the entertainment industry under the mentorship of David Geffen at his venerable record label, Geffen Records, working with artists Nirvana, Guns N' Roses, and Aerosmith. She went on to become creative director at Gramercy Pictures, now Focus Films. Samantha's creative vision brought prominence to such independent features as Dazed and Confused, Fargo, The Usual Suspects, and Four Weddings and a Funeral. She continued her run of hits at Fox Searchlight with Waking Ned Divine and Boys Don't Cry before moving to Universal Pictures as Senior Vice President of Marketing and Advertising. Segwaying to commercial advertising in 2004, she owned and operated Foundation Content, the production and editorial powerhouse she co-founded in Chicago with James Lipetsky before the duo rebranded in Los Angeles as Wild Bill Creative in 2017. Blind Pony, as true a story as I can tell, is Sam's first book and was published on March 15, 2021, now available everywhere. Samantha is currently working on a novel entitled The Capricious Life of Charlie Lane, as well as a volume of drawings and prose called When I Was a Muse. Welcome, Samantha Hart. We are so happy to have you here on What the Folk. Thank you for having me join, Sarah. We're so happy you could make it on this morning after Thanksgiving. And we, we like to welcome our guests with an easy, it's a softball or a hardball question, depending on the context for them. So... Samantha, how is your apocalypse going? Well, first of all, I have a lot to be thankful for. However, you know, I mean, things could always be better, couldn't they? <laughs> I mean, just but coming off of the beautiful day yesterday, giving thanks, I, I really realized how incredible the past two years have been for me. Um, because I really wrote my book, Blind Pony, pretty much over the lockdown period. So it was kind of like, you know, I don't know, kind of now felt like just a lot to be thankful for. I didn't get COVID. You know, I wrote a book. I learned a lot about book publishing that I never expected, uh, I, you know, ever learn. And it just, so my apocalypse isn't really that bad, you know? Getting my teenage boys ready for college. That's a pop, you know, that's uh, its own uh, 
apocalyptic moment in in life, isn't it? Personal apocalypse. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Sarah. Um, I was just going to say this might be a good segue into um, talking about Blind Pony because you self-published this during the pandemic. Um, I just would love to hear more about that project and what kind of made you want to tell your story now. Well, I think um, I am a person who seeks immediate gratification, you know. So when I really got it in my crawl that I wanted to do it, there was just nothing to stop me. You know, I had the seedlings of Blind Pony for a long time. I mean, I was wanting to write this book since I was a child, like a 12 year old. Um, I, I found a journal where I, I wrote and that that's actually the preface of my book. Uh, I found a journal and it said, this is a story about me, nobody special. And it, it just hit me really like, well, okay, it's time. I'm going to do this. And I just started writing it. And, and it was not very, um, you know, I, I went to, again, I'm so into immediate gratification. If I had thought about it, maybe I would have held the book or had a professional editor edit it or even line editing. There's some typos. I just wanted to get it out of my system because I reveal a lot about myself that nobody in my immediate circle knew about myself and uh and it was very cathartic for me so i i'm really glad it it sort of went down the way it went down and it's been so well received so much more than i thought ever ever thought it would be it was just a personal thing i had to do that is I feel like that's like the stuff of life right there. You know, when we're talking about realness and rawness, it's like when you just have a story or a piece of a, a creative project in you that needs to come out and you're you're so passionate about getting it out that you forget to be a perfectionist <laughs> or you, you forget to, to craft it. And I think that's really interesting for you as somebody who has spent so much of your career in like helping craft narrative and craft, you know, marketing and advertising for other people's creative work like I'm it's so interesting to me that when it came to your work you were like I just need this to be out there can can you talk about that oh yeah that's really you know I hadn't even really put that all together in my mind of why it felt so great and that's exactly (laughs) why because I wasn't thinking about what's the best release date when should this drop you know like an album coming out or you know, I mean, I did do publicity for the book, but um, but it was just like, it just happened so organically. And I think that, you know, I didn't look at my, my own personal project as a job, you know, as something to be calculated about. I looked at it just, you know, as a, as a girl, you know, just wanting to ex- express herself and, and do it with love and, you know, pride, you know, and not calculated, if that makes sense. That makes so much sense. I mean, that I feel like to me is like, it's the antidote really, you know, to a lot of the um, industry um, 
standard that, you know, you and I have talked about a lot as far as what is the industry and what are the gatekeepers? It's, well, I mean, but like, I'm not saying that it wouldn't have been smart to calculate a little more, you know? I think just given my background in the business and having done that so much, like you're manipulating the outcome. And I just wanted to be raw. I wanted it to be like, I'm not going to ask anybody's permission to say, you know, certain words or whatever, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just wanted to be able to, you know, with this particular project, now, my next book, I'm, I'll definitely, now that I've learned about the business, you know, and I'll certainly advise you on your book, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, this was different for me. It really was. And I hadn't really thought about that. I think the challenge of writing a memoir must be really interesting because in some ways memory is so, it's so reconstructive in this kind of way that we start thinking about our own lives when we approach it from a storytelling perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if that was something you experienced while writing this book. Oh, um, yeah. ab absolutely. Like, um, only I experienced it different than you'd think. Um, I'd be writing a scene and maybe my husband would read it. And then he'd say, well, you know, it would be better if, and then, and then he'd be like rewriting a whole scene. And I'd be like, that's really great, honey but that didn't happen, you know, like I, you know, I kept copious journals and I really know, you know, I was able to go back. In fact, I wrote the book without consulting my journals. And then I went back to my journals and looked for certain pieces. And that really helped to flesh out a lot of the more, um, you know, ephemeral details that I had forgotten about. So I think that the, that's kind of how I approached it. Um, I approached it just from my memory um, and, and then referencing back to the journals. Hmm. Have, you, have you found that, you know, taking that deep dive, how has that impacted, you know, your life and the way you think about it? You know, like going, going all the way back and bringing it to the front. Um, well, I am so at peace, I have to tell you, because like um, when I got the job at Universal Pictures, uh, for example, you know, you have to be a call. You have to have gone to college to get a job there. And they asked me, the recruiter said, where'd you go to college? And I said, I didn't go to college. And she said, well, you have to go to college to get a job at Universal. And I said, oh, well, I went to the Royal College of Art and in London. And she goes, Oh, why didn't you say that? I said, oh, well, you know, yeah, I went there. And she put it down. And, yeah, I went there as a nude model for the painting department. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, and, and I got the job, you know. And it was just, like, um, you know, so absurd. Like, I think that, and then at one point, um, there was a woman, um that was one of my colleagues and she suspected something was a little different about Sam. <laughs> like, I don't know, just, you know, just the way, you know, and so I don't know, she came up and she says, how old is Vignette again? Vignette's my daughter. She's like, how old is Vignette? 
And when did you go to college? And well, how was Vignette born? Well, where was she born in England? It was like 20 questions, right? And that you don't want to hear when you're telling a white lie. But, you know, when you live a white life as long as I did, you know, what wasn't that long. Um, but, you know, I had sort of, I, I just was sick. I was just tired of it. You know, like I didn't want to be like outed by anybody about anything anymore because I don't know why people have such a fascination with me and my sort of people I don't know they'll, they'll come up to me and just say like you know oh well how old are you or you know personal questions and I don't know I just um like I would never have asked that woman well, when was your son born you know, and like, well, where were you living at the time? Like, just weird. So I guess it's just, you know, I look at how successful I got when I was at Universal and like really, you know, high paying salary job, perks, benefits, the whole thing. But, you know, could I have gone further had I not been holding in so many secrets, you know? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, I really wanted to be my authentic self before I die. You know, like I want to know, you know, I want to be the full me, you know, everything that comes with me. And, and I think that like, I feel really at peace, you know, from writing the book. And I know that like people have read it and really been touched by, I, I'm surprised at the reaction it's got, it's received. I really am. I never thought it would be, I never thought three people would read it and to get like five stars and like, I thought I'd get one star, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just great. It's a great feeling to finally let it go. Well, that's wonderful. Cause it's an incredible story that you have carried with you and that you wrote. And for the people who are listening, who haven't read it, I'll try to kind of, I mean, I, I'm not going to try to nutshell, but I will say you touch on some, you know, intense themes, you know, childhood abuse, running away at, you know, a young age, essentially being on your own from a very young age and, um, and, you know, just kind of figuring it out as you go along, as you've gone along, um, that's a huge, I mean, that's, that's what we're all kind of trying to do It's just, you've had to do it in this very extreme way. And, um, and yeah, the the catharsis of telling a story in general is great, but I can only imagine when you've been holding so many of those details in for so long. Was there anybody who really knew your full story other than you before you wrote it? My current husband um, did, does, did before the book, and he really encouraged me to write it. Um, Nobody, not even my shrink, you know, nobody. I never told the full truth to anybody, like everything, you know, and there's, that's why it's called as true stories I can tell because that was the extent I could tell without revealing, you know, I didn't want it to be a book that was like a tell all like, you know, or commercialized because there's a celebrity in it or whatever. I didn't want that. I really wanted the reader to just be taken on this journey through, you know, the, my life, you know, just that what, what, 
what some what an individual has to do if they've been abused from the time they're five years old um and and you know running away at 14 and surviving and and you know what that kind of costs my spirit as well as i think i think one of the most scary things for me when i look back on it is when i was 14 i was like any 14 year old i had no life skills i wasn't some like smarty pants or something you know i i became that rather quickly but i you know cuz i had to think on my feet or whatever but i was just a i was just a, a little girl you know that wanted to be a cheerleader and 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 from one day to the next you know it just i made this decision and i you know i just had no life skills you know and we to parent yourself, to try to learn to parent yourself. It's interesting because, you know, I, I think I'm one of the best parents I know. Like my three children are so well-parented. I mean, I get the gold star. I mean, I've got three beautiful children, all so different and so talented. And I just, I just can't believe when I look at them and I say how much I love them and I feel everything they feel just to feel that I wasn't loved like that, you know, and to really be able to admit it without, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 it was hard for me for a long time to even admit that, you know, I wasn't loved as a child in the way you normally should be. So this book really healed my heart. It definitely, it definitely did. And, you know, it's not perfect or whatever, but I'm, I'm really proud of it. There's no such thing as perfect, in my opinion. A six-year-old told me that for the first time when I heard it. So I take it as truth because they're closest to the source. <laughs> uh, but that, I, that is so in inspiring and powerful to hear that you are experiencing peace from telling your truth and from living your authentic life. Cause that's so many people are afraid of it. And I'm getting back some of that little girl in the process, you know, um, one day my, my sons and my husband came home and they couldn't find me, but my car was here and they were looking around and they, Finally, I started snoring. I was in the closet curled up in a little ball because I had been writing. And it really took me back to that time period, you know? Um, the words took me back there. And that's what I used to do when I was a little girl. And it, it felt like, I don't know, just really bizarre, like, like really healing, you know, to be a grown woman and curl yourself up in a little ball and go and hide in a closet, in a dark closet, and just fall asleep, you know, in the most uncomfortable position, you know. I'm, I don't know, even know how that it happened, except that I put myself there, and it was really interesting. Yeah, and you know, being able to tell your your own story obviously is a very powerful healing effect for you. But I'm curious if you've heard from anyone where maybe they've seen your, themselves in your story or if you have any hopes that you know I do think by telling our own stories as much as they serve ourselves they can also serve others because they can make other yeah. people feel left alone 
Well, I think, well, one, one thing happened in particular. I was on a show um, uh, being patched in, in Louisville on a, a radio show. And no, it must be a TV show. And I wasn't on screen. It was just patched in. And we talked about it and the book. And um, a woman in a very powerful position, I won't say she is, she reached out to me on LinkedIn and said that she was in the break room and the TV set was on and she heard this. And she said it was unbelievable. It was her story. And she, you know, said she was going to get the book. And then, and then she put up an incredible review for me, um, mm -hmm. you know, weeks later. But I, I, I just, and I know it was her because she emailed me and told me, you know, because it's not her name. But, you know, I, you know, I feel like if, if that was one person and then, and then like other people have told me that it touched them in ways that, you know, they hadn't even thought like about it's just insecurities and you know just different things i cover in the book i don't know a lot of people have been touched by it i mean i i don't know what a lot is because i've never sold a book but it seems like you know it seems like there's a lot of um you know people that that are liking it. So I would assume if you like it, you relate to it on some level. It doesn't have to be the same type of abuse or whatever, but any kind of pain that we, you're going through. And then if you can describe it in a way that touches someone, um, I mean, like Joy's book, um, you know, I, I love for those reasons, you know? So even though I've never been in the army, I, sort of feel like I can relate to how that must have felt. You know, I had my own war zones. So I think that, you know, think one thing cross-pollinates with another in, in a vibe, you know? Um, when a girl I know that's like, uh, she's, she's had four kids, she's a stay-at-home mom. She was my colleague back in the day um, and, you know, retired and she's, um, she told me like how much she loved the book. I was like stunned. She's like, I so relate to it. So I never thought there was anything about her life, but you, you can't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> That's a very apropos way to put that. <laughs> the, yeah, I think it really speaks to the connection that we all have as humans. If we are willing to sort of be vulnerable and share the things that we've struggled with, you know, we all, we all do have some kind of struggle, even if it's not trauma. And most of us have some kind of trauma if we're, if we're really paying attention. So I think that um, yeah, I, I appreciate your willingness to sort of delve into those vulnerable, scary places from a place of, um, you know, strength. And, you know, you've, you've come such a long way from being a, you know, runaway, abused person. And I can relate to, I know your story, you know, I listened to your book on audiobook and it was, it was like, a conversation that I was 
part of, even though I wasn't back and forth with it because I related to it in so many different ways. So, um, yeah, there's just, uh, thank you for being fearless enough, even though I'm, I know it wasn't, you know, without fear. Thank you for like leaning into that fear. Um, as our, one of our previous guests, uh, the reformed whores, they talked about leaning into the fear. And I, I think that's something that your book really does in a, in a really special way. And I know you've done a lot of reading in your life and you've done a lot of, you know, absorbing of other people's creative work. And I'm curious who, if anyone influenced you to sort of, to go there and if anyone influenced your creative process. I really have to say no. I mean, I, um, I don't think I was influenced really by anybody with this book. I think this book just, you know, it just was, it just came out, you know, just, I don't know. I can't really describe it, but I think, I mean, I'm influenced by so many different authors. I mean, look, I love Margaret Atwood. I just think she's so smart and her methodology of the way she researches, you know, things and, you know, does documents, everything she does in a certain way. I'm Her process is really something I admire. Um, you know, I, I, I love Joan Didion. I love Sylvia Plath. I love, you know, some, you know, uh, so many, so many female authors. Um, and I, and I love reading about historical people like Messia Sert, you know, I would have been her if I was born in that time period, you know, hanging out with Chanel. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that whole life would be something I would be just perfect for. <laughs> um, so maybe in another life, but, um, but then, you know, I've been introduced to a lot of new current authors that are really um, hitting, you know, hitting me hard. I mean, like, I love Tara Jenkins Reid. I think her books are amazing. Um, and I think, um, I don't know, I just, there's just so many good authors out there. Um, Crowley, uh, the, the woman who uh, wrote um, The Paper Palace, oh, that book is really, beautiful so maybe I'll be influenced I don't think so I'm not really like that I just am I I think I have a way of speaking that no I don't I don't did you see any influences in the book when you read it well it was actually that's why I was curious because your voice is so clearly your voice and I the thing that I was thinking is like the influences would be other writers who are also very good at using their own clear voice. Cause I feel like when I've, every time I've read, you know, I, I kind of came up on like Hunter Thompson and that type of very like, this is my voice. I am in this story mm -hmm. and there is no denying it. I'm David Sedaris <laughs> comes to yes. mind. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I love yeah. him. If I could write like him, you know, if I could be influenced by him and really, you know, right? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's amazing. He's he's so funny. So funny. You know, I actually, I, I, 
I actually met him one time at very right after I got out of the army. And it's interesting because I was, you, you are one of the very few people who has read my book. So a couple of people have now referenced it. Um, and they are the two who we've had on this podcast, who've read it. But when I was first thinking about writing it right after I got out of the army, I went to see David Sedaris read in Syracuse, which is where I was from my hometown. And I, um, waited until the end of the the meet and greet because I was like, I want to talk to him. And um, I just like want to ask him a question and he's not going to have time while there's all these people. So I'll wait till the end. So I waited like three hours and he he was very gracious. And I was like, I, um, I want to write a book. I feel like I'm like too late. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I just have to, I have to write about the army. I just got out of the army. I have to write about it. And I feel like I'm like, I'm running out of time. And he's like, how old are you? And I was like, 26. And he was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> he kind of just gave this like adorable laugh. He was like, oh, you've got time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And um, it's funny because, and yeah. And so now th- 13 years later, um, you know, here we are in the process of, of publishing it. And that voice still is in my head. So <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's funny because it's, you're probably doing it at exactly the right time because um, we need to gain perspective on these things. Like, you know, I mean, I do make it sound like I wrote Blind Pony in a fit of frenzy of two weeks. It was, I had a lot of it sort of in different places. Um, but yeah, it, it, it took me a long time to process everything. And I imagine your experience, you know, after coming out of war, I mean, it just takes time to process it all. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, then that's what the, a lot of what we do when we write is to process it. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's all that. I don't, I want to give Sarah a chance to jump in. <laughs> yeah. I have a couple different directions I'm thinking of going but I'm always just interested in that idea of time and things kind of letting things happen in the time they're you know maybe quote-unquote supposed to I think there's we get a lot of pressure in our culture whether you want to blame it on capitalism or you know whatever you want to blame it on that kind of is like you need to be productive you need to be producing this now you need to be doing this now so I appreciate hearing a perspective on how sometimes things just will grow at the right time. You plant those seeds and then they'll germinate when they need to. Well, I think I, one thing that I really think about constantly is the notion of synchronicity Mm. and kismet moments. And when things are right, it, you know, the universal aligns. So I don't think I spend a lot of time thinking about the time that's passing you know, do you know what I mean? It's like, I just know that when the right time, I just, does that make sense? Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, you know, I think, I mean, have you ever had like, I mean, when you have a dream and you know that like this has a reason, a purpose and you remember it and then you see it manifest, that's what, that's how I like to, you know, I like to stay in that kind of world of allowing possibilities to happen, not trying to manipulate them so much. Yeah. And that yeah. can be a hard thing to do. I know it is for me because I always get the anxiety of like wanting to, you know, 
watch the pod or whatever. So I think there's a lot of faith in, you know, just letting go and letting things unfold and knowing that they will. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. Your hosts are Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. You can find out more information about the show and stream every episode at whatthefolkpod.com. And you can find out more about our guest, Samantha Hart, at samanthahart.net. And now, back to the conversation. You know, all I'm saying is, like, the voice in your head or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you really, you know, if you really just kind of program yourself to, you know, to be present in the moment, you know, then things happen, I think, more... Um, flowy you know that's just at least for me definitely I love that word flowy I love flowy and synchronicity those are two of actually some of my most used words (laughs) Sarah can attest (laughs) yeah that's uh synchronicity right there (laughs) yeah I'm I want to um I want to ask you the thing that is um I feel like we can, we go in so many different directions on this podcast. We've had so many different, like this question takes so many different forms. So in this time of, you know, we're kind of in uncertainty where we can't plan things really. We've got like climate apocalypse. We've got all of these, you know, economic disasters and pandemic and all this stuff. Um, but we still, we still keep trucking. And so what I would love to know is what is fueling your particular fire right now, Samantha Hart? Uh, I would say my children, um, mostly, you know, because it's a really fucked up time for kids. You know, I mean, I mean, for all of us, but like to see a kid, you know, just trying to get into college and, you know, just trying to like, figure themselves out, their identity, you know, going through all that. And, and, you know, and the pandemic, taking school from home for a year, you know, it's a lot for some of the kids, but my kids just breezed right through it. I mean, they're just, they're great. I mean, but they're, they're very happy to be back in school. They're fully vaccinated, but, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty scary out there, you know, and with the current, the current politics and just some of the rip from the headlines, I mean, take your pick, which one It's all scary. It's really scary. And, and I think, you know, I just worry about my, my children and my grandchildren, you know, like what world have, have we wrought, you know, it's, just um it's just too much you know and you know and then secondarily to that I'm excited about my new book so (laughs) and I'm surprised I'm writing another book I really am it's not a memoir though it's a novel yeah can you can you talk a little bit about that and like how how that came into being and you know what what made you decide to try fiction? Well, I I you know, I really 
had my hands tied with Blind Pony because it had to, you know, it's truth. Um, but I wanted to have a little bit more fun with the characters. And so, I mean, I think, you know, you write what you know. So Charlie Lane is not, you know, definitely not going to be without some influences of mine, but it's going to be a fiction. And, um, and it's kind of a, kind of a thriller, which I'm really excited about. Not, I, you know, it's kind of a quirky thriller, I would say. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I, I have about five chapters done and a, and a pretty strong outline. So getting there nice when are you planning to self-publish again because i know we we've obviously we've not obviously to anybody listening you and i have talked a lot about self-publishing and i would love if you if you felt if you felt like you wanted to share some of your insights that you've learned from that and like and how it's informed whether you're going to do that in the future i mean sure like the business of books is you know, it, it needs to be disrupted, you know, in, on some levels. I've, I've thought that for a while. Um, this other podcast, podcaster, uh, Zibby Owens, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she, um, it, she started her own publishing company and mm -hmm. she's going to do some kind of profit sharing thing with, and she's going to pay for the books themselves, you know, set up as a normal publisher but with some different kinds of back-end incentives or something and so I think that you know you know as soon as you think a thought you've got to know other people are thinking it too so um I see a lot of evolution in book publishing and so I don't know I'm I think when I'm finished with the book you know if I depends on if I have an agent by then. I don't have an agent. Um, so nobody will read anything without an agent. So it's just, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a weird um, world. And I, I've really enjoyed learning about it, but I do see, um, I do see a, a need for some disruption in this arena and I see it happening. And, you know, when things, begin to be disrupted it's just think spotify you know mm -hmm. just think um you know what i'm saying it's like like uh you know taylor swift taking back her catalog and doing it in such a unique way um uh it, it's you know it's like when the seat you know that we went to, from albums to cassettes to cds now it's all on spot. I mean, it's just crazy. Or film, you know, you went, um, it used to be film delivery, prints and advertising. So they were actual prints of the movie that we shipped. So imagine all that waste for those trailers. <laughs> Forget the movies, the trailers, you know, that, you know, just thousands of them going out and all that obsolescence. And now it's digital delivery. So I think that book publishing is going to evolve somehow. And so I don't really know how, but I don't know. I, I don't know what I, I would certainly love 
some of the responsibility of putting the book out to be taken off my shoulders. I'd love that. That's why it'd be great to have a publisher. Um, you know, like I said, there were a couple of typos in my book. I didn't spend the money to have it, you know, I just thought it was going to be a catharsis and I'd make one copy and that would be it. I really didn't expect to take it out wide like that. So, you know, it's, I don't know. It was fun. I mean, I actually enjoyed the process, so maybe I would self-publish again. You make, you know, you make, it's, you just make those decisions again based on, you know, what, wherever the, you know, time, that whatever feels right. Yeah, you've had just, I mean, just speaking of disruption and just all this, you've had such an interesting path through all of these, through like the creative industry. And I think that in some ways it's potentially, I mean, some of it is obviously beyond your control, but it's also some of it, you know, I think can be a good model for folks that are trying to figure out a way to kind of do this their own way and follow their own path. And I do think even though these are incredibly unstable and nerve wracking times, there's almost more opportunities to kind of get in the door. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, you know, you guys have a podcast, you know, you probably meet a lot of really interesting people um, doing this show and that gives you a unique perspective. You know, it's all every day. If you're learning something, you're learning, you know, like, you know, I never thought I would be going to my Amazon author page and checking my rankings. <laughs> you know, now I'm obsessed with it. It's my new Zillow. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just crazy. You know, it's like, you know, I have a mantra in my book. I say, I've, I've got nothing to lose. Um, that was the mantra that like stuck with me as, as a kid, where I'd say, what's the worst could ha that could happen? I'll be dead in a ditch. Well, that could be good too, you know? <laughs> Cause I was like so alone and just didn't really even wanna, you know, I mean, actually it, it's very peculiar how optimistic I was. I mean, I had to be, or I wouldn't have gotten through it, but I remained very optimistic person, but um, I don't know. I mean, just, just follow your own path. I mean, it's just yeah. right in front of you. It's not, you know, um, any big, like, there's no big secret to it or anything. It's just being in the present moment, really being honest, being authentic with yourself and, and being willing to be vulnerable um, and put yourself out there in some way. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because like I've been the, you know, the youngest person in the room, the smartest person in the room, the dumbest person in the room. I've been the oldest person in the room. And, you know, I've been the most naive and said the most, you know, clarifying thing that anyone said, you know? So, it, you know, you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be willing to sound, you know, like in my book, I, I cite a, a scene where I kind of through some miscommunication, I got a job at a, at a record company 
and um, and it was um, to for the physical manufacturing of records. I thought it was the more creative side, and it wasn't. And so, um, so anyway, the first day on the job, the woman who hired me quit. Literally, she quit. And so I had to go to the A&M Records conference room, and they said, Wyndham Hill, did you ship the parts yet? Which they were talking these you know, different parts you ship for mastering a record. And I said, the wing or the thigh? You know, like, 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 you know, like I, I like to say, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and every, but everybody laughed because it was a vulnerable thing to do. And every, I was really young. Every, they took me under their wing, taught me everything I know about production. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, so I think uh, people that have, you know, I think people have responded really well to the, pandemic the 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 cool people you know have i mean you know you have you you have to go on you have to adapt you have to think on your feet of what you can do and how you know i mean i'm 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 on yeah i'm hustling every day to you know um work for my clients you know um take care of my kids you know my husband myself i mean it's all that you got to keep all those balls in the air but at the same time you got to look you got to you got to look at your life sometimes from 30,000 feet and say you know look at me down there what i'm doing how could i be doing more you know where 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 are the you know pitfalls ahead you know yeah yeah that's Oh, God. I was just going to say, it's like that whole kind of being the observer of your own life idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, I think about that all the time. Um, I never, when I was young and I was going through the, the stories that are um, part of Blind Pony, I never thought I would make it out. You know, I never thought. I would be alive at this point in my in my life and have these three beautiful children and two grandchildren and and that the world would be falling apart. <laughs> I mean, you know, in the book we mentioned something about saving the planet or going green or whatever. And that was back in the 70s. So, you know, this planet thing is just it's outrageous. Um that we've all allowed it to happen, you know? That was a great thing about the pandemic. Everyone was off the streets and I feel like the air got cleaner, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there are some benefits. Hmm. Well, you touch on so many, you know, important and like sort of under-noticed um, insights, I think, that, one is that, you know, being that vulnerability is strength and there's so much strength in <clears throat> and being willing to, <clears throat> pardon me, to observe your life and to be vulnerable in sharing it and, you know, to be authentic. And that is then, you know, really, it really well, like kind of 
parallels with this other point of like, we have to take care of this world around us. And how do we take care of the world around us by taking care of the world inside us? And, um, you know, so I think that, you know, you're, what you're touching on is like all of these essential sort of core truths that if we can come back to them, they, they do keep us sane, you know, as sane as we can be in this insane world. I mean, it's, it's time to, you know, I don't know. I don't know if the world's ever going to go back to like the way, you know, I mean, not, you know, like the way, what way, what way was good? (laughs) None of it was good. You know, like the whole thing, you Mm -hmm. can't go back. Mm-hmm. I hope that the new evolution, you know, goes forward in ways, always, you know. Um, I mean, just we we all know them. I mean, race, you know, religion, politics, all of it. It's just, you know, it's gotta it's gotta move forward, you know. I mean, my son came out as gay, and now I'm terrified for him if the Republicans get back in control because, you know, uh, I, that's the one, I'm, that's what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, when you asked me earlier. It's, um, I think it's a really, a really important thing to be able to be honest about the things we're scared of right now. And, um, because we all have a lot of fear that we're carrying um, and for various reasons, we're all, you know, under, under capitalism, most of us are marginalized in some way. And most of us have something to be afraid of. And especially under, you even know, if it's just the fact that so, we're a woman, <laughs> right? Exactly. Under, you know, the white hetero capitalist patriarchy. Exactly. Like we're all, we're all dealing with that. And, you know, if we're queer, if, you know, if we have any kind of trauma, if that we're dealing with, if we, there, there's so many factors, right. And, um, there's so much pressure on all of us to be like confident and strong and tough and individuals. And it's like the, I think the thing that your book is pointing to and all the things that you're saying are pointing to is that there's actually, that is, you know, confidence and toughness are not strength. They're, you know, the illusion of strength and the real strength is like getting into the fear and the, um, insecurities and the trauma that we all have. Mm-hmm. That's right. When you're, when you are sort of, as you're in this space and, you know, it's, it's not everybody who is able to come to the place that you've come to and, and to be like, all right, this is my story. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to not only tell it, but then like release it, um, and find strength in that. What kind of, um, I don't know, encouragement would you additionally give? Because you've already given a lot of encouragement (laughs) indirectly. But what kind of additional encouragement would you give to other young writers or old writers, any writer who's trying to to plumb their inner depths? Well, first of all, it's like to be asked, you know, my opinion about writing style or whatever just makes me giggle because, (laughs) like, I don't really necessarily you know, haven't anointed myself with the illustrious title of author fully, but, but um, I think, you know, I think a big part of writing is just commencing, just begin. Um, 
in any creative process, it's so hard to get started. Um, it's easy to say you're going to do it, you know, but once it's started, it, it's going to, it's, it's there. And so you can keep going back to it. And I think that's earlier. You asked me why I was writing another book or whatever. And I went off on a, some other tangent, but part of it was really simply because I missed writing so much. It had become such a big part of my day to write blind pony. Because I wrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. I've done, it's painful. I mean, it really gutting out a book, you know, is it's a it's a lot of work. Like, you know, a lot of using your brain and you know, and I think also, you know, my mother died of Alzheimer's and well, you know, complications of it. And um and so I feel I feel like, you know, writing has kind of given me an opportunity to use my brain, you know, in ways that I feel is strengthening that muscle, you know. And I think that what happens, I don't really know all the reasons people get Alzheimer's or whatever, but um, I think if you just get to a point in life where you nothing excites you or you don't really do anything new or try anything new. It just, you know, your brain just stops functioning. So, I mean, it's like when you listen to music, it's, you know, proven your brain lights up, you know? Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll say, you know, my mother, you know, I'm glad, like, because she's such a big part of my book. Um, I am glad that she uh, she and I sort of had mended the fence between us before she passed away. But, um, well, I don't know what made me talk about that. Did you did you get the um, the things I sent you, uh, Joy? The the clips? Yes. Yeah, you sent right before we we had already hopped on, so we I didn't listen to them ahead. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you picked those? Um, well, I guess I wanted to. Uh, I, I I don't know. I wanted to play something that was maybe funnier, you know, um, lighter, because uh, there are a few moments, and I don't even know. My husband picked it, so I don't know which which one it is actually. Mm -hmm. um, but the second one, which is, you know, uh, later in the book, is kind of when my mother presents me with this bowl. And it's from my great aunt Sarah. And I get really emotional when I read it. And, you know, I couldn't get through it. I mean, one time I have several takes where I just started sobbing. Mm -hmm. That was the most composed I could read that. And... So, but I really like it for that reason because it's not, you know, uh, it wasn't contrived. It's real. It feels raw, you know. And and I and I think it 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 really makes you feel what I was feeling, like how hurt I was, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that I did pick that one. Uh, the other one, I don't know. I don't know if it was the Nowhere Man or I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, <laughs> I didn't have a chance to review before we jumped on or I would rem remind you, but I do know that when I was listening to that, that bit that you're referring to, it, 
it I was you know I was emotionally affected by by your your book and I don't you know I've been through a lot of dark shit personally also so it, it takes a lot to like really um <laughs> to really get to me and and it really you know so I'm glad that you sent that um I'm looking forward to sharing it um with our listeners and um I don't want to I don't want to keep you for too long, but I, there was one question that we did we haven't quite gotten to that I I know that Sarah um, had brought up that I would love if we could we could end on because I think it's it'll be a fun to fun one to jump into. And um, we were talking before about sort of your journey of like having to fight for your creative vision throughout your your career and what that's meant. And I don't know, Sarah, you've you kind of put it a little bit better. Maybe you want to rephrase. Um, we had so many questions. This is the one about independent film. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about independent film and creative vision and the way that that has been so influential. And I don't want to take it out of your mouth. <laughs> I was just looking at your, um, you know, at your bio and your resume and all those those films you mentioned being involved in, whether it was Fargo or Days and Confused. They were such huge watershed films for me, like being a little kind of weirdo 90s teenager. So I was just like being there at that particular time and place. I'm kind of curious how that's influenced then your kind of ability to find this, maybe find gold in things that like other people haven't seen on the surface. Well, you know, I did, I did have quite a reputation of being able to take, you know, a sort of, you know, film that no, that was maybe a little misunderstood and elevate it through giving it a, a campaign. Um, I think it, I think, you know, when you, when you're, when you're in a situation where you have to come up with something creative and it's your job to do so, because we talked about being very languid, being a writer, um, until it becomes a job. Like if I got it, if I had an advance for my book, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I'd be writing, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that wasn't really like I said, what Blind Pony was, but, um, but yeah, when, you know, I had a blast working in independent film. I mean, coming up with those campaigns and doing grassroots marketing before there was the internet, like before you did it on Instagram. I mean, trying to get people to see, you know, these special entertainments. Um, I, I'm proud of every campaign I created during that time. And and some of them are, you know, remembered like Dazed and Confused. Um, there was just a book out uh, called um, All Right, All Right, All Right, the oral history of Richard Letters, Dazed and Confused, and has Matthew McConaughey on the cover. And it was written by Melissa Merritt's uh, Rolling Stone um, writer. And it, the funny thing is, is that, you know, Everybody knows the stoned happy face from that campaign. If you you know you remember it, and the director hated it, absolutely hated it. So I've had this like, uh, so that's kind of a funny thing. But you have to like when you're marketing a movie, just like a book. I mean, you have to you have to get inside the movie and really find you know I, that part was really fun for me. Um, I mean, I would get really emotionally invested in the movies I was working on. I mean, Dazed and Confused was a blast for me because I didn't really have a traditional high school experience. <laughs> you know, I was 
I was being an adult, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I really got into that one. I, I got, I got into all of them, um, in different ways. Uh, but, you know, um, every movie has like a signature you, that you have to find and, uh, you know, like, do you do a teaser trailer and a trailer, you know, what kind of, um, I mean, I I had a T-shirt that I made um, for Boys Don't Cry that says, "Do you do you know me well enough to hate me?" And I thought that was really, you know, I, I, it caught on like fire. You know, you, we gave them away like to all these before there was Instagram. You know, like it's. I think that people have gotten, if anything, like less. Like I don't know. It's. Um, I think I think there's I think Instagram and all that is just so over rot, you know? Like I'm I'm kind of glad my kids aren't into it. <laughs> what do you think? I have a love-hate relationship. <laughs> but back to the movie thing. Um for example, I came into Universal Pictures one day wearing a veil, a black veil, because my boss had taken me off of the Billy Elliott campaign. And I was in mourning, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I definitely had a really colorful career in that field. Um, you know, I really, I really love, I really love working on movies. So I don't know if that answered your question. No, that's great. I was just so curious to hear more about kind of your experience in film. So that was perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I um, yeah, I've worked with some pretty amazing directors. I'm Steven Soderbergh, uh, Cone Brothers. They they were some real highlights. Jody, Jody Foster. I mean, um, yeah, I um, I do. I work on brands now, so it's a little bit more boring. <laughs> well, you're. I think it's it's um. It's really interesting to note how you, you know, you kind of have infused um, a whole lot of our culture through working on those specific um, campaigns. And if your vision hadn't been what it is, then maybe, you know, those wouldn't have impacted so many people. And that's, that's I, I think I'd that's like huge. to think so. I think, I think particularly with a couple of the films I worked on, I mean, even Four Weddings and a Funeral, um, they were projecting that would do like a million dollars. And I'm the one who projected it would do $50 million. And I was the closest. So, <laughs> I mean, like, I think it's, it's just, you know, um, you know, I just appreciate, um, you know, the the talent or whatever, and I just get in there and I kind of do my gypsy dance, I call it, you know, and just come up with something cool for, you know. Um, yeah, I, I love it. So I like doing it. I mean, I have some really cool clients um, that I work for doing brands and I occasionally do still do a trailer if someone asks me <laughs> to, but. I'm really, I oh, want yes. to be a full-time, yeah, I want to be a full-time author, you know, so. 
We approve on this podcast. <laughs> Highly approve. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of that. I don't know, Sarah, if you have anything that came to mind that you wanted to wrap up on or. Honestly, I think this has been a really rich conversation and I'm, I hope that everyone listening reads your book or, or reads your book if they prefer the audio version. <laughs> well, yeah, I reading that audiobook was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And so I'm, I hope people enjoy it. I'm not a professional narrator and I certainly now empathize with the narrators <laughs> of the world. <laughs> they can really make or break a book. So I hope that, you know, I did my book justice. I did the best I could. So in my opinion, you did. I, I really, I connected with it a lot. And, um, is also, you know, actually I read two, listen, read two audiobooks in a row, which was Rosa Del Duca's from our, our last, um, episode and yours. And they actually both were very profound in different ways, equally vulnerable, truthful, like kind of heart wrenching in different ways and touched on some similar themes. Um, and honestly, yeah, I think everyone should read them both, but yeah, blind pony is, um, is a fantastic achievement. So I hope you're very proud of yourself, Samantha Hart. Well, thank you, Joy Damiani. Much love. Let's, uh, Shall we send each other on our on our way into the back to our apocalyptic lives? Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, ladies. Thank nice, you so much nice for coming. chatting with you. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. Later that evening, Mom presented me with an antique bowl with a floral pattern complete with a lid that fits snugly on top and once belonged to my great-aunt Sarah. The memories held me in a warm embrace. I conjured the aroma of fresh-cut grass and the air laden with the summer's humidity, mingling with Aunt Sarah's motel's distinctive scent. The used bars of soap from the guests' vacated rooms we collected to wash the linens. Holding the bowl was like being given back a tiny piece of my childhood. My mother took my hands in hers and said, I want you to know, Sam, before your grandfather died, I made him get out of bed as weak as he was and kneel and pray to God for forgiveness for what he did to you. I told him it was the only way the Lord was going to let him into heaven. Hearing Mom confronted Pap about what he did to me, caught me off guard. But it left me void of emotion envisioning J.D. Deemer beg for forgiveness from God for admission to heaven. It did nothing to comfort me. It only made me want to ask Mom why she felt he deserved God's forgiveness for destroying my childhood and nearly killing me. I knew my mother didn't have a clue what life since I ran away was like. She didn't realize how many nights I cried myself to sleep, just wanting to hear her voice. Did she understand that the damage inflicted on me as a child sent me careening toward adulthood without any life skills and little self-esteem? I wondered if she ever felt remorseful about all of the lost time between us. I waited a long time for this moment, 
but now that it was here, I felt underwhelmed. If she could believe God would forgive a child rapist and unrepentant pedophile, it didn't matter what I thought. If it gave her peace to believe God forgave her father's sins, who was I to stand in judgment? Wow, Samantha Hart. I can't really even begin to wrap my head around some of the journeys her life has taken her on, but I'm glad we had a chance to take a little dip in the stream. Yeah, I mean, I think... I really hope everyone checks out her book, too, because really what we touched on the interview was just scratching the surface of someone who's had an incredible life and overcome just stuff that's really unthinkable, I think, to a lot of people to eventually, you know, rise to where she is and being such an important kind of behind the scenes, but still very influential force in culture between all the movies she's worked on and the music she's worked on. And while taking this approach of, you know, maintaining like flowiness and, um, and paying attention to synchronicities and to intuition, it's, um, actually not an approach that you hear in, in, in all of the industry, you know, guides. They're not like, so what you really need to do is listen to your intuition here. It's like, no, this is the way to success. And, you know, she really, her whole story really turns that narrative on its head, which I think is why I was so excited to have her on this podcast, which is, you know, full of people who are doing things differently. Yeah, totally. She's such a great example, too, of how you can make it in an industry that, um, Mainstream's not the word I'm looking for, but that sort of has certain established parameters. Does that make sense? While mm-hmm. still really doing it your own way and doing it in this kind of flow state and following your intuition. Um, it was really inspiring for me because that's been so much of my journey, especially since the pandemic started. Um, you know, I've got, I'm a lot of, a lot of air element in my natal chart. <laughs> There's a lot of shit up in my head and like thinking mm-hmm. of, things through and overthinking usually um but trying to you know incorporate more practices whether it's you know more intuitive writing or tarot or things like that that bring me into my intuitive like ways of knowing and kind of drop me into different spaces in my physical body than my headspace so she was such a great example to me of just how that can be just such a powerful force that can really lead you to you know, the markers of, you know, superficial markers of success, but also a real sense of internal, like, success. Like, she was so grounded and just had such a great energy around her, like, just very strong and very inspiring. (laughs) Yeah, and very validating for me, too, as somebody who has had to kind of try to get better at leading an intuition-based life because my rational mind is, I don't know, it's some, it fails a lot. It, you know, it just, it just shorts. And, um, and so I end up in these absolutely insane situations that I have to intuit my way out of. And so I really felt very validated by Sam because her 
whole uh, life has been, you know, figuring it out as she goes along and dealing with really difficult, potentially, you know, like life-breaking situations to a lot of people that could have really broken her. So, um, yeah, I think especially as somebody who is dealing with lots of, um, you know, working on creative work to process trauma, it it was a very um, validating conversation as well as like a, a super inspiring book to read. Yeah, and I think her resume aside, she's a great example of how you don't need to consider yourself a writer or feel like, you know, that you don't have the right to enter a conversation or to enter the space where your story is being told and being, you know, upheld as an example for other people. You know, you never know how you're going to touch somebody with your story. Um, Mm -hmm. I participated in this project. I've actually participated a couple times at work called The Living Library. And Mm. basically people can check out books that are people and will tell our stories. And I've been involved in that as a book because um, I've, I don't know, I just felt like I inspired to kind of talk more about my struggle with OCD and how I got diagnosed and what it actually means because I think a lot of people don't really know what OCD is. They think it's like oh, that's you clean your house. And it's like, mm, no, not really. <laughs> At least not for me. <laughs> I wish. I wish I had useful OCD. But um, so, but just like some of the feedback I got from folks that attended that, not just about my story, but other people's stories. And people had stories about everything from what it's like to be, you know, one of the only black students on campus, pretty much, to like surviving suicide and immigrating with their family to America. Like, it was a wide variety of books that were there sharing their story. And that, I don't know, there's that to me was just a really powerful example of how we create connection and empathy through telling our stories. And we never know what value is going to be in our story, maybe until we tell it and put it out there. So I know Sam talked a lot about how surprised she was in some ways about the reaction to her book. and But I think that that's... I don't know, that would probably be a lot of people's experience if we were all kind of brave enough to tell our stories. We'd probably be surprised by what it would inspire in others. I completely agree. I think especially when when we are, you know, courageous enough to use our own authentic voice, um, you know, like Samantha really effectively did. Um, and, uh, like... You know, it's not easy for for a lot of us to do. I had to, you know, peel away a lot of layers before I felt comfortable in my own voice as a writer. I had been reading so many different writers and, you know, you know, just reading so much for so long that I think in my head was just a whole combination of voices that I had to I had to kind of shove out of the way and like nudge and shift and maneuver through until I found mine. And, and she really has, you know, the audiobook is, you know, I think it's the, the way that she reads her own story is, it's as real as it gets. And that is something that, um, more of us, I think we, we give our, we don't give ourselves permission to be real until we see other people doing it. 
and we feel other people doing it. So if for no other reason than that, it's like we give each other permission to be real when we share our, our real struggles and our real shit, right? Yeah. We can, we can hundred, hundredth monkey our way into realness as a species. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I think I, I think I know what you're, I think I know what you mean by that, but like break it down because I, I did smoke some weed before we talked. <laughs> I'll be real. It's basically, um, once like, you have a critical number of, um, like whether it's monkeys or human beings or anything in a group exhibiting a certain behavior, um, then the group will sort of adopt the behavior collectively is basically what it is. Hmm. I don't think I knew that um, specific theory example before, so thanks for enlightening me. And yeah, it's, it really is. It's not hard to create a, um, to create a a trend like that, but at the same time, like, um, yeah, or, and at the same time, I guess I should say, let's like do, do that in a way that inspires one another rather than like enrages one another if possible. Yeah. This is a note to self, I should say. (laughs) I mean, yeah, (laughs) that's such a challenge right now because there's so much to be enraged with. And, um, you know, the challenge so much I think is to, like we want to call things out, but then we also have to sort of call in what we want. (laughs) So, yeah, exactly. And I think like, I don't know, I guess by enrage, I mean, like create unnecessary conflict. Like I I think it's great to disrupt each other. You know, I think we should definitely make each other uncomfortable all the time. Um, But it's more of just like, you know, the manufactured hostility or conflict. um, It's that's not based in a, a sense of like really wanting to connect or even to express frustration with a lack of connection. It's just sort of like a ego noise filling the airwaves yeah i mean i think we were talking about this before we started recording but how the pandemic's kind of pushing us all into uncomfortable spaces even as much as some people seem to want to pretend that everything is going to go back to normal like newsflash it's not that world died what are you gonna do (laughs) like right you can mourn it that's okay you can feel sad you can feel angry and frustrated with the systems that have failed us but at some point you need to respond with creativity and respond with something that's bringing something to the table instead of just talking about all the shitty things on the table Mm -hmm. or at the very least like embracing reality for what it is rather than like living in this sense of, you know, nostalgia or, like, the way it should be, quote-unquote, as, you know, not in, like, a revolutionary sense, but in a, like, the way it was before things changed type of sense. (laughs) Because it's, like, everything is going to keep changing. That's that's not going to not, like, you know, how many philosophers have said it, you know, the only constant is change. Change is the only constant, something like that. The, yeah, so, you know, we can either embrace this, like, madness that we've got or not. And I think people who have been through a lot of trauma 
um, the people I know who have been through a lot of trauma have ironically been some of the ones who have thrived the hardest through the pandemic because it's like, cool. Well, like the, I'm always dealing with, with stuff in my life. So I'm going to just keep doing that. And, um, and I'm going to, you know, actually now have the time and space to do it in different and better and more informed ways. Um, you know, that's, that's a thing that I, I, I feel like is a silver lining, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, the memo right now is like, if you're not willing to be a little uncomfortable, if you're looking for stability, whether it's in the narratives of who you thought were the political good guys and who you thought were the political bad guys or who you thought were the good guys and bad guys in your life, including yourself, because you're somebody's bad guy. <laughs> like, that's right. just without a doubt. Like, maybe multiple people's bad guys. Oh, I'm a lot of people's bad guy as far as I've heard. <laughs> yeah, I actually, yeah, there's a few that I'm aware of, at least for me, too, <laughs> which might seem surprising, but, you know. Um, and I think, like, the future, the, oh, God, this can sound so cheesy, the future belongs to those who realizes reality <laughs> is a yes and proposition that's constantly shifting and constantly subject to change and paradox. And if you can't occupy that space, then you're really just not equipped to handle what's coming or what's being presented to us now for that matter. Right. And that's not like an insult. It's no. more of like a, hey, here's an approach. Here's an approach that might be more helpful and feel better because it's like, you know, when I, when I you know, talk with Samantha, I don't hear somebody who is traumatized uh, you know, I hear someone who is thriving and that, and honestly, it really dovetails well with the things we were talking about the last few couple episodes with Jenny Pakanowski and Rosa Del Duca. You know, it's, you, you take these difficult things that happen in your life and you turn them into things that not only help other people, but help yourself. And, um, you know, and then it gives you a sense of peace um, for having been true to yourself, and it gives other people like a permission that they may didn't maybe didn't feel before, before they picked up your book and were like, "Oh, this person wrote about that. Maybe I can write about my thing." Neat. Yeah, it's kind of funny in a way that like it's the apocalypse, and we're still looking for permission. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. So true, Sarah. <laughs> also, crazy. yeah. Also, I won't, I've been doing this thing lately where I start ranting about shit and I'm like, wow, does baby need a world without paradox? Does baby need reality to be yes and and black and white and easy for you? Wah, wah, wah. So oh, I really man. should probably get an attitude adjustment about that. <laughs> I don't really think it's very nice. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, I think we, we, niceness has its pitfalls, right? <clears throat> Even when we're being nice to ourselves. Although I have been trying to be super nice to myself lately because it is the apocalypse. We're in it. And, um, you know, the pandemic is, is pushing us all to 
be uncomfortable no matter what our reality was before it, you know, whether we were, um, you know, whether, yeah, like I'm not going to give all the examples. I think everyone knows. Um, and we have a choice of how we're going to respond to that discomfort and like pain and like a huge amount of pain in some ways. And, um, whether we're going to like let this reality destabilize us or if we're going to look at an unstable reality that is literally based on like common agreements that things that don't exist are real. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, and be like, let's disrupt that. Let's, let's, you know, let's make that uncomfortable. And then we can get back to, you know, the connectedness that we would all prefer to be in and the creative spaces where we're just like, you know what, I'm going to write my story and I don't give a fuck if it sells. Damn it. Dermot. <laughs> Gerd Dermot. Gerd <laughs> Dermot. Um, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think Gibbs is, like, bringing that full circle back to Sam, and she's such a great example of that. You couldn't think of an example of someone who came from a more unstable background, and that's managed to create something mm-hmm. beautiful, but also something that's constantly evolving and changing. So, really, that's just such a great model of how to try to live in these times, no matter what the spaces you're occupying, no matter what the project is you're working on, no matter what your dreams or goals are, like you can kind of look to Sam as a good example of how you can get in that flowy state and look for the synchronicities. Exactly. Just go with the life flow, even if it is upstream. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it's sideways. (laughs) Even if it's sideways. Yeah, I don't know if it's going with the flow means even if it's upstream. I like that's paradox for you, right? Like there's, it's not just that I'm high. It's that life is a paradox. Sometimes going with the flow means going upstream. God damn it. I was like, okay, I think I found us new a t-shirt for a pod. It's not that I'm high. It's just that life is a paradox. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll make it just in time for the holidays. What the folk fam, I know that you're out there because, you know, we see you lurking out there. And I've heard from a few of you that you've been... Um, dig in what you're hearing and we just appreciate the shit out of you um you help us feel like we're not just shouting into the void we're you know we're shouting into a few awesome ears yeah and um or more than a few these days so thanks um keep telling your friends it's i think working what yeah i'm gonna make you t-shirts and stuff and i as a token of gratitude, I'm going to include at the end, as soon as I get done talking, a little preview of a brand new song that I have not yet released, uh, which, but I just thought it fit the theme of this show, of this episode so well. It's called It's All Right to Not Be Okay. I produced it with Pamela Parker this summer, and uh, it'll be out in a couple weeks, but just for y'all... Our wonderful What the Folk fam, here it is, and I hope that it takes you into your day feeling uh, feeling slightly brighter. Woohoo! 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 It's all right to not be okay. There's no such thing as perfect anyway. Growing out of an 
sweet while I sit under a tree that looks a lot like me and all I can say is it's alright to not be okay it's alright to not be okay it's alright to not be okay What the Folk is co-produced and co-hosted by Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani Sarah is based on the native lands of Arapaho, Cheyenne, Ute, and Ocheti Shekowin tribes known as Denver, Colorado. Joy is based on the native lands of the Cowlitz, Clackamas, Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, and Confederated Tribes of Siletz Indians known as Portland, Oregon. Our guest on this episode has been Samantha Hart, featuring excerpts from her book, Blind Pony, as true a story as I can tell, available through her website, samanthaheart.net. Featured music has been It's All Right to Not Be Okay by Joy Damiani. You can find us at whatthefolkpod.com, follow us on social media at whatthefolkpod, and contact us at whatthefolkpod at gmail.com. Our theme music is from In a Major Key by Joy Damiani, whose music and writing you can find at joydamiani.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, as I've decided to remind you every time until the actual end of times, don't let the apocalypse get you down. <laughs>